Welcome to the Foundry Church. We're so glad that you're tuning into this message. We post these audio versions every week so you can keep up with them by subscribing to this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about us as a church, you can visit our website at foundrychurch.net or like us on Facebook by searching our name. That said, here's this week's message in our series called Believe. You're going to have to work with me on this. I will take no slackers in this service. So get your arm ready. You're going to volunteer a little. You're going to help out, right? You're just going to be a part of it. So loosen up. Get your paddle ready to wave. Um, who remembers their first? Yeah, there's one person. I remember it. Thank you for disrupting the whole service. Um, who remembers their very first Valentine's when they had an Valentine for which to pour out the abundance of your heart upon them. So who remembers their first Valentine when they were in love? Okay, we're having too many babies for you to have that many hands in the air. There's like three of you. And that, so either we need to have another conversation or you're going to work them out. Come on, people. Who remembers their first Valentine's when they love someone? And if it wasn't your wife, don't look left, okay? Because, um, look, you're young, your heart's fickle. Um, so you remember that first Valentine's, you're like, I, it's finally time. I am going to buy her chocolates and, and, like, and flowers and a, and a shirt. And it's just for you. I love you. Right? You're so into Valentine's. It's such a big deal. It means so much. And when you had a crush on a little girl in, in uh, let's say, first grade, and her name was Denise Benefield. Um, she was a Mormon, but I got over it. Um, and you put a, a, you, like, have your little Valentine's, and you put the one with candy and Denise's. It's for you. You know, she didn't like me. Um, But like she wore a dress to school, so it was awesome. But like you you really, you like them, so you put a little effort into it. When you're in love, you put a lot of effort into it. And then there's now. And on February 12th, a number of you are going to be like, ugh, (sighs) two days till Valentine's. I got to get her something or she's going to be mad at me. Stupid Hallmark making holidays. She knows I love her. I show her all the... time. Right? That's how we are. It's horrible. We can just be so gamey about it. And it's, it's not like it doesn't have any of the feeling. It's like, oh, I got to do this thing. So you go and get cards and maybe and flower and it's a carnation, which if you're over 12, don't do that. Um, so, you know, it's like this thing where it's like, oh, you know, where's the love? Where's the outpouring of emotion? It makes me um, think of this uh, musical. Erica and I went and saw a musical. Our friend Vicky uh, called me and said, hey, do you want tickets? And I was like, I'd love some tickets. So we go down to DeVos, and we see a story about um, a dad who has five daughters, to which many of you are like, oh. But this is a good time just as a prayer announcement. Kurt and Amy Glupker have six. So just remember them in your prayers because I'm doing all the weddings for free. Kurt usually sits over there somewhere. So if you ever need, like, I'm here, but six daughters. I mean, that's a, that's a half dozen daughters. That's a lot. So the story of Tevia, they're out doing Tevia. But in this musical, it's a story of a dad and his daughters and, and the husband and wife, but Tevia is this lead character. And his daughters are in a culture. They're Russian Jews. And the culture is this, that they get arranged marriages. So the father arranges a marriage with another man. So they may ne- have never met the person when they meet him and uh, when they marry them. And it's just this kind of awkward setup, right? And I know for some, like the young, younger people are like, oh, that sounds terrible. As the father of a daughter, a yes and amen, I would love to arrange her marriage and like just push all boys back. But this dad is wrestling with the tension because his daughters are like, but dad, I love this guy. 
I love him. Please don't arrange a marriage for me. I really love him. And he goes through this cycle with all his daughters loving these guys and having to fight against tradition, against the tradition of arranging a marriage, the culture that says that's how you do it, the rules that are implied with that, and listening to his daughters as they say, but daddy, I love him. If you've ever had a daughter who says, but daddy, you're like, oh great, I'm putty again, right? I'm just spineless. And he goes through this thing where he's listening to them say, daddy, I love him. And he ends up going to his wife, Golda. So there's Tevia and Golda, his wife. And Tevia approaches Golda, hat in hand, and asks a question. He goes up to her and he's like, do you love me? I cook all your meals. No. But do you love me? I gave you five daughters. What more do you want? But do you love me? I clean, I milk the cow, I do all these things for you. And the question echoes again, do you love me? It's this tender moment where someone's going, I know we were arranged, I know we've done our duty, but do you love me? Do you love me? Are we just doing life together or do you love me? You see, there's one who wants to be loved. There's one who wants to know love, and there's others, another person in this story who's doing what's right, who's doing what's good, who's fulfilling duty, and there's a difference in that. Our series is on the seven churches that Jesus spoke to in Revelation. The first church that we're going to talk about is the church of Ephesus, and the church of Ephesus is this booming, is in this booming metropolis. Ephesus was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. There was Alexandria, which is in Egypt, uh, in the northern part of Africa there. They're at the very north on the, on the sea. There's Rome, which is in the middle of the boot in Rome. And then there's Ephesus, right in the heart between those two in what is modern-day Turkey. There's Ephesus, and it sits kind of in the middle of the empire. And... The, the reality around it is it was the third biggest city and it was a cultural icon. It had one of the wonders of the ancient world, the temple to Artemis, more formally known as, Diana, not formally, more informally known as the temple to Diana. It was one of the most massive structures in the ancient world. It had a library. It had amphitheaters that sat thousands. It was a cultural um, it was a cultural centerpiece of the Roman Empire. It was huge in size, in influence, in trade. It was a port city. The best way to describe Ephesus is this. If you took New York City with its huge harbor, financial influence, and um, just altogether kind of girth of what New York is, and New York had a baby with Hollywood, not L.A., but Hollywood, the epicenter of self-centered, weird celebrity culture, if you let them have a baby, what would happen? happily come out would be Ephesus, a weird spiritual soup of reality where it's this over-sensualized, over-sexualized worship practices of the temple of Diana 
permeating into everything, the other, you know, major temples to the gods in the pantheon of the Greek pantheon. Then you have, um, then you have the Roman influence kind of coming into that and the military presence. You have the, the socioeconomic realities. It's a big city that makes for a very dark spiritual environment and a place where people gravitate to and get lost in. It has a seedy underbelly. It's a sailor's culture with occultic practice mixed together. It's really, really broken. It's the city of Ephesus that was. And there's a church that was planted within it. Now this church was planted by the apostle Paul. Paul planted the church in around 52 AD. The church really began to flourish in the early 60s. And by, by like AD 66, it was, it was really fruitful, it was abundant, it was really growing. It was, a big, it was a big deal, it was a large church. It had influence. One of the, a lot of the historical records point to Paul being the planting and founding pastor of the Ephesian church, but the apostle John, the one, the beloved, the gospel of John and the three letters of John, and John to whom the revelation is given, that is who comes, he comes in AD 67 to Ephesus to live because Jerusalem is besieged by General Titus and will fall in 70 AD. And John brings with him Mary, the mother of Jesus. Can you imagine going to church with Jesus' mom? You're like, I got a super question for you. Could you talk to your son, right? Like, it would be amazing to have Mary in your church. But John and Mary historically are believed to be members of this church. John led that church for a number of years. Their founding pastor, Paul, would lose his head. He would be beheaded by Emperor Nero, 63 to 66 AD. We know that this was a church that had some moxie to it, some depth to it. But they suffered isolation and persecution. The church was founded while Nero was on the throne of the Roman Empire, who put Paul to death. The church was founded in the darkest times. It worked its way through emperors Diocletian and Trajan, and we find them suffering persecution, literally being squeezed and crushed, yet they persevered. They were faithful They were impoverished because they were pushed out of normal society. They were isolated. So the church, as it grew, grew together, and it was tightly, like it was a tight band of believers that loved one another and loved Jesus Christ in those years. And it was a powerful movement of God with powerful leaders. So take that, kind of set it here, and join me for just a minute on the island of Patmos, this desert island, like Matt said, like Alcatraz, where John is in the spirit and Jesus comes up behind him and begins speaking. And he says these words, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this. I am the one who holds the seven stars in my hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you don't tolerate wicked people. And that when people come claiming to be apostles, you test them to prove that they are not and you find them false. You have persevered. You have persevered through the persecutions, right? You have persevered. You have endured for my name and you haven't grown weary. Oh man, can you? This is Jesus talking to the church. Can you imagine if he said that to us? What would it mean? Like, get the depth and the gravity of this. 
I'm the one who holds the seven stars in my right hand. I walk among the golden lampstands. He's declaring his identity as the Lord Jesus Christ. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you don't tolerate wicked people. And when fake apostles come claiming to be them, you test them. And you find out that they are not. And I know you have persevered. I know you have endured for my name, and you haven't grown weary. Man, I would hang that plaque on my wall and have a t-shirt with that on it. That would be a big deal to have Jesus say, that is as good as it gets. Your good deeds are not missed by Jesus. Your hard work isn't missed by Jesus. Your perseverance when things crush you isn't missed by Jesus. You know, when you look at a list like that, your good deeds, sometimes you can do those in secret, right? You can do good things. Your hard work, hard work shows up, doesn't it? Like if someone says, I work hard, and you're like, well, what'd you work on? Oh, maybe I thought hard, right? But hard work shows up. Hard work is, there's evidence for hard work. And Jesus is saying, I've seen your hard work. I've seen your good deeds. I've seen your perseverance. And I've seen your defense of the truth. You have held on to the gospel. You have fought against the empire of Rome that says Caesar is Lord. And you said, no, Jesus is Lord. You have declared faithfully and fitfully the truth. And you have stood in the gap and raised up a church that is planting other churches and has become a bulwark, a pillar in the middle of empire that declares the truth of Jesus Christ. You have done well. As a church hub of Christianity, Ephesus was slaying it. They were amazing. It reminds me of our series that we did this fall, Short and Sweet, where we talked about how the the different authors, John and Titus and Jude, how they said, be careful who you're listening to. Be careful the teachers that come in. Make sure they're speaking the truth, that they're teaching the gospel and the gospel only. And when we look at this, we can see that Ephesus was doing that. They were listening and teaching and defending the truth of God. We look at this list and we realize that Ephesus was ticking all the boxes for what a good church should be. And in, even in our modern day, of it, day and age, good deeds, hard work, perseverance, and defending the truth, I would take that as a moniker for our church any day. Any day. So it looks like they are just doing amazing, let alone the fact that after 67 AD, Ephesus was the largest, most inf- the church of Ephesus was the largest, most influential church in the world. Jerusalem was being besieged. The leaders, many came to Ephesus, and it was the hub, the kind of heart of the church. And then there's this jarring follow-up to those words when Jesus says, you, I know you've persevered and you've endured in my name, and you have not grown weary. It's such a high point. And it says, but there's one thing I have against you. There's one thing I have against you. And you think to yourself, like, wait a minute, that doesn't even make sense. When you read off a litany that good, how can there be anything wrong with a church doing so good? And when you see that list of accomplishments, that phrase seems kind of shocking. It doesn't make sense. With all the good, how can there be something wrong? What could be missing in a church like that? Yet, there is this that I hold against you, that you have forgotten, that you have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. We better hear this, church. 
Listen to me. Please tune your ear to this. Please take offense to this. Whatever gets it in you, hear this. We can do all the right things and miss the point in this life. We can do all the right things, live in our duty, and be the right people. Some, many of us are people who will do the right thing. This church has so many people who do the right thing, and I applaud that. It's wonderful, but here's the reality. Doing the right thing apart from loving God is a mistake. We should do everything out of our love for Jesus Christ, not because we do it just because it's the right thing. We don't do certain things because it's the right thing. We do them because we love Jesus Christ. There's a huge difference in that. The things we do that are good are because of our love of Jesus Christ. It's not fulfilling duty. It's not just doing what we should. It's loving Jesus Christ, and out of that life comes rivers of living water that actually pour life into the world around us. We need to understand that we can do all the right things and miss the point if we do them apart from loving Christ. Hear this, church. Don't do the right things without loving Jesus. Paul wrote a letter to a different church, a church he planted in Corinth. It was 1 Corinthians 13 is the reference. I want you to catch this reference as as we hear what Paul would say about spiritual good living and powerful gifting versus love. If I speak with tongues of angels, but I have not love, I am a resounding gong. This is, the inter- this is the kind of cultural reality. Anybody here ever play, um, have a kid who played cymbals or play cymbals in band? Yeah, a few of us. The reality is nobody has uh, like, you know, they, there's usually not a, a cymbal solo. Just that, that wouldn't make sense. There's not a band made up of the cymbals, right? That'd be weird. You can get a good ride and then crash the cymbals. It's great when you hit it right. It's good, but it's not the only thing. And Paul's saying, if I can speak the language of heaven, If I speak with tongues of angels, but I have no love, it is nothing but noise. It is noise crashing together over and over. It's worthless apart from love. He goes on to say that if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries, all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, and I have faith that can move a mountain, but I have no love, I am nothing. Think of it. Let's just go back through those gifts. If I have the gift of prophecy, which means I can speak, hear and speak and discern the heart of the matter according to God's heart. If I can do that, and if I have like just this kind of resident understanding, the knowledge of all things, if I can fathom all mysteries, if I can literally speak to a mountain and it'd be moved, If I do all that, but I have no love, I am nothing. I am nothing. If, if I give all that I have to the poor and I submit my body to the flames to die a martyr's death, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. What is Paul saying to the church? Quit doing the right thing and love Jesus. Quit doing the right thing and love Jesus because the right thing is actually only one thing. It's loving him. 
loving Jesus Christ will actually create within us a capacity to do all the right things out of the right motivations. And Paul says this in Acts 20, speaking to the church in Ephesus. He says, in everything I did, I showed you that this kind of hard work The hard work I did, Paul planted a church. He also made tents while he lived in Ephesus. We must help the weak in this hard work. We help the weak. So we're generous. We're merciful. We're gracious. Remembering the words of Jesus. That's what he goes on to say. We're going to help the weak, but we're going to do so remembering the words of Jesus. Because when someone you love tells you something, you remember their words and you live into them, right? You live into them. There's a natural desire when you love someone to live into the words. He says, remembering the words of Jesus, we do these good things because we love him and we're fixated on him. The things we do reflect him. They're his work through us. Paul's prayer to the Ephesians at the end of the book of Ephesians says this, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, they are rooted and they are established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to know how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. To know this love that you may be filled to the full measure with the fullness of God. What is Paul saying? Know the love of Christ and love Christ. There is nothing apart from that Loving Christ informs our behavior. It transforms our instincts. The writer, John, continues in the word from Jesus to the uh, church in Ephesus. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will take your lampstand and I will remove it from you. Jesus isn't the kind of parent who's like, mister, you get over here one Two, two and a half, one, two, mister, I'm gonna, I've had enough. Two, one, stop, right? That's not what Jesus does. He says, do this, repent, or I'm taking it. I'm gonna take the thing that makes you distinctive. I'm gonna take the light from you. That's a big word. That's a powerful thing for Christ to say to his church. But here's the thing, their lack of love of Jesus, their doing good deeds, working hard, persevering, and defending the truth meant that much because they didn't love God. They didn't love Jesus. And he said, come back and do the things you did at first. What did they do? They loved him. They just loved him. And out of their love for Christ, they did everything right. The problem is they quit loving him and just kept doing good things which amount to nothing in this faith. Do the things you did at first. The lack of love is a sin. It's a sin. Because Jesus doesn't say repent. Remember what repentance is? Repentance isn't like, oh, I feel bad. No, repentance is that dig step where you take a step and you turn and go the other way. Like a receiver running around. They run up, kind of shuffle, boom. They take dig step and they break on it, right? That is what this is. Repentance is turning and going the other way. It's a sin not to love Jesus Christ. No matter how many good works you do in a dark place, it does not matter. You have to turn back and do the things you did at first. They were doing great things, but their motivation wasn't their love of Christ. It was sin. It was sin for them to do those things apart from loving Christ. 
So what was their motivation? What would have been the thing that caused them to do it? I think this is where the rubber meets the road for you and I the most. Was it their self-image? Was it gaining the approval of the people in the church? When you're isolated from the general culture, the small culture you're in of the church, I would think that gaining approval of people would matter. And you would want that. Were they doing it to get the approval of people? Were they trying to get respect, making sure people like them? I think that is one of the diseases running rampant in our culture. Do you like me? Do you like me? What, you know, I'll do anything to make you like, you, like me. I'll please you. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll make sure I say the right things and do the right things. Were they doing things to make sure people liked them? Were they just ticking boxes to make sure they were liked because their image was good? Maybe they wanted to look important. I was with some pastors this past week, and some of them have like, like just crazy big churches, 15,000 people. Nobody knows him. He's, he might be a legend in his own mind, but we don't know him, right? But we go out there and we try to look important to who? For what? What's the use of looking important when, when in the end you're only a legend between your ears? But we try to look important. Well, you know, I am an elder. People are like, you're old? No, no, I'm an elder in the church. What's the church? Well, I'm an elder in it, right? We want to look important, but nobody knows the language. So maybe they were doing that. Maybe they were really busy. This is, this is the idol I struggle with. You know, how you doing, Eric? I'm, I'm busy. You know, I, I got a lot going. I'm serving Jesus with all my time. Just, you know, I'm out there. I'm doing the work. Loving Jesus and people. <laughs> busy, right? Yeah, yeah, people want to meet with me. I'm busy. People say hi to me. I'm busy. I'm busy. Busy, busy, busy. Maybe they're being busy to look important. Maybe they were being busy because maybe they, they, like me, kind of feel like, well, at least I'm not useless. Maybe somebody likes me. Somebody wants I'm busy. These same motivations probably infected them the way it infects us. They might have wanted the benefits like we want the benefits of our faith. Ephesus, the city that was. Jesus warned them, if you do not repent and turn back, I will take your lamp and I will take it from you. Alexandria, the second largest city in the Roman Empire, exists today. Right on the northern end of uh, of. Egypt right there, it's, it's kind of like right connected where the Holy Land is. There's the little region of Giza where Mike Lindell grows his special sheet cotton. Um, you know, my pillow guy? No, just me? All right. Um, so Alexandria's right there. It's a huge port city. It's been a cultural icon for thousands of years still there. Rome, same thing, still there. Ephesus is gone. It is rubble. It is ruins. It is empty. It is gone. Their light was pulled. A few hundred years after the church was there, the lantern was taken. The port silted in. The river came down, kind of filled the port in, made it a little bit useless, and people went away. And there was a few hundred people living there off and on, trying to do some trade and different things for thousand, I think a thousand years, until the last hundred people finally went, should we just turn off the lights and go? And they did. There is no city. It's ruins. If you go to Ephesus today, you'll see a bunch of Christian tourists. Wow. Taking pictures. Because there's nothing left. It's ruins. The amphitheaters, the great facade of the library, the columns of the Temple of Diana, still there. No one's there. No one's living there. 
Their lantern was removed. Don't let this message be lost on us. Don't let it be lost on us that the lantern can be removed. Here's the words of, of Christ to John to the church. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious, not in winning all the battles, but victorious in loving me. The one who the victory is defined by the one who returns to what they did first, loving Christ to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. If you did devotions this week, you would know this: that Genesis three, there was a garden and it was paradise. There was a tree of life in it. When Adam and Eve committed the first sin and separation from God for humanity happened in that moment, God put before the tree of life an angel bearing a flaming sword so that they could not come back to the tree of life. And Jesus says, if you want to come back to the tree of life, do the thing I told you to do. You did it first. Love me. Love me. Like how tender is that? Jesus isn't just saying worship me understand me, know all about me and the Trinity and the hypostatic union, all this. No, Jesus is saying, love me. Love me. I think a few people in Ephesus probably heeded this call and did what they should. But the church is gone. The city is gone. So let's not hear a clear warning and fail to act. Let's take this in quite personally today. We must believe that the word of God was true for the church of Ephesus And it's true for the church of the foundry today. If we're doing things out of whatever ambitions we have, if we're doing it outside of our love for Christ, we're missing the point. We must take to heart this message for us personally and for the church. Do you remember how it used to be? Do you remember the day you got saved? Not everybody does. I do. August 6th, 1994. I will not forget it. I even, I talk about it, I got all choked up. I was a, just a burning, so picture a train wreck with a garbage fire and some tires thrown in for flavor. It was a mess. My life was a wreck. And I met Jesus Christ. And he forgave me. And when I think about that moment, I'm like, man, I know what he did. I know what he forgave. I know who I am, and he forgave me. Do you remember how things used to be before then? Do you remember what it was like going, I'm forgiven? It's done. I remember driving out of the parking lot of that church and turning the wrong way on a one-way street. I was off to a great start. (laughs) Redneck gave me the finger of fellowship just let me have it. And I was like, God bless you, sir. Saved. You know, I just, I think I went the wrong way still. I was like, this is great. You know, I was so happy. I was so glad I was forgiven. We forget and we get busy and we do things. We do what's right, but we forget the only right thing is to love him who called us to remember what it was like in the beginning. Do you remember the things you did at first? You wanted to tell people. You know, like you're doing something like, how you doing? I love Jesus. It's true. I'm a Christian. It's super awkward and like, what's that? I don't know, but I love Jesus. And you like run off because you messed up and you think, oh, they'll never receive him. But you just wanted people to know. Get a little fish sticker for your car three days later. I'm going to work on that. That's discipleship, right? I can't do that yet. 
but you wanted everybody to know. You wanted to tell them about Jesus. You prayed all the time about everything. God, should I have butter and salt on my popcorn or just salt? I want my heart to be yours. Like you'd do everything. Anybody? You remember those days? It was such a sweet time. You loved him. You knew the cost of Calvary. You knew the freedom you had in Christ. You knew what it was like to be kind of cleaned out inside, made free in Jesus Christ. You loved him. You prayed about everything. You'd be like, you know what? I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to start with Judges. I'm not afraid. And then three chapters in, you're like, I'm going to go to Romans for a while. It's pretty dark. And you just love it. You devour scripture. You took it in. But somehow we became too busy with work and our important lives and schedules to love Jesus Christ. And we have committed the apostasy of religion when we are invited to relationship. Are you too busy to work alongside the Savior you love? Are you too busy to love Jesus Christ to let your life be infected with the, the kind of the, the life of Christ? Are you too busy to have rivers of living water streaming out of you? It's a dangerous thing in the ministry. You know, for me, I'll be honest, like as a pastor, you can do a lot of work and it feels really good and you do good things. You talk to people about good things. You can get really busy and you can do all the right things and really fall out of relationship with Jesus. There have been times in ministry where I'm doing all the right things, but I don't love him. And God has convicted me doing this teaching. I was like, man, there's just things that have to get right inside of me. My motivations, the, the thing that motivates me has to be right. I don't want God to pull my lantern. I don't want God to say to me, repent, turn back. I don't want that, so I keep pursuing him. I want to love him. Do we do that? Do we do that? Do we pursue him? Look, God, I do this and I do this for you. Just, I think it fits perfectly if we take the words of Rev Tevia from Fiddler on the Roof and we put them in the mouth of Jesus. Do you love me? Well, God, I volunteer in nursery. I, I don't park by the sidewalk anymore. And... um. And there was two cookies left. I only took one and a half. I'm doing my best. It's not what he asked. Do you love me? Well, God, you know, I, I, I've started giving this year. I, I'm going to give a little. No, it's not what he asked. Do you love me? I don't want you to come here and volunteer. I want you to come here and love Jesus. You'll volunteer after. Trust me, when Jesus is who you love, rivers of living water come out of you and you start going, I gotta do something. I've got to show some affection back to the one I love so much. And the person we show affection to is his body, his bride, each other. We start serving. I don't want you to give here. I want you to love Jesus Christ. Trust me, your wallet feels very much less an idol when Jesus Christ is the one thing you love and not the money you earn. It's not about getting you to volunteer and give. It's about loving Jesus Christ. Will you love him? Because here's the question, and we need to hear it as it was asked in real time. Because there was one disciple who betrayed Jesus Christ bitterly the night he was betrayed by Judas. Peter disowned Jesus three times. He wept and ran off and went back to a life of fishing. And on the beach, as the sun came up, there was a man cooking breakfast on the beach and Peter looked and he saw that it was his Lord Jesus Christ and he ran to him. They had breakfast on the beach and then Jesus said, walk with me. 
And we sanitize scripture in dangerous ways at times, so let's not do that today. Let's turn it into a musical for a minute and forgive my horrid singing, I get it. But I want you to hear Jesus as a person talking to someone who had done everything right for a while and then really did things wrong. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you, was his answer. You know. Jesus said, if you love me, then feed my sheep. If you love me, you'll feed my sheep. Continuing down the beach, Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. Then Peter, feed my lambs. Take care of my lambs. And a third time, Jesus asks him, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And the implication and the reality is this. If we love Jesus Christ, we will love that for which he died. We will love those who don't know him enough to be uncomfortable. We will, if we love Jesus Christ, we will serve the weakest, like Paul said. We won't sit there and do all the right things. We'll make mistakes. But if we love him, if we love him, this world will experience an, an, an irresistible grace, not of perfect people, but of people who love a perfect Savior. My friends, I invite you to wrestle with and quit justifying in your life good deeds in replacement for loving him. The song needs to echo in your life. Do you love me? Those are the words of him who hold the seven stars and walk among the lampstands. He's the one who asked Peter, do you love me? May Christ's spirit be with you as you give answer in your life to that question. Lord Jesus, we, your church, stand before you asking for a moment of grace. There is a part of us that loves religion, Lord. We love religion, so we carve out a good deed and a few things we've done, and we miss you in the process. So today, Christ, we ask that you would come and you would carve out of us that thing of religion that just does good deeds for some reason, and you would put in that empty place that religion was removed from, you would put into the empty spot a craving, an irresistible craving to love you, a desire to love you. God, in our limited capacity, we can't even find the desire at times. So I'm asking, God, that you would give us the desire to love you and that all other things, everything else this world kind of throws our way to distract us, every bright, shiny thing that calls us away from loving you, can you cause it to fade away, that we wouldn't be caught in a life that is fruitlessly busy, but we would live a life that literally flows rivers of living water into this world and that a dry and parched land would be refreshed by the Spirit of God flowing through it in a church that loves you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. Last week, uh, last week Matt explained the, the banner on the back means those, those wave bars are, I love you. I love you. It's the underlying thread of Scripture. It's a God who is betrayed and forsaken by us who bear his image and his pursuit of us calling us back to home in himself. And not just calling us home, but calling us to love him. And here's the thing. You can say to me, Eric, I'm not a real loving person. You know, maybe some brokenness in your life. Maybe things have hurt you and different things. I just, I'm not good at love, and I get that. But here's the thing. We have a value in this church, transformation. If you're coming here to stay the same, you need to find a different church. This is not going to be home. 
Because we believe you're supposed to grow into the image of Christ. By the filling of the Holy Spirit, you can learn to love him. Because in the end, that is what we're called to do. We are called to return the message. Have you ever had somebody say, I love you? And you're like, uh-huh. It's horrible, wouldn't it? Oh, man. This is like frightening. And God says, I love you. I love you. I love you. And it's time for us to return in action those words. It's time to love the one who gave his son for us. If you wonder how much you are loved, look only to the cross. Look only to the cross. You are loved beyond measure. And God will allow you the opportunity to grow into loving him if you will invite him. So I challenge you, church, today. Jesus Christ gave the best growth model ever. Ever Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And that comes pretty naturally after you love God, even if your neighbor is a doorknob. You'll love him because you love Jesus Christ. So I invite you today, go from this place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you will show the love of God in everything you do. As you go from this place, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you. This is one of those cool love passages in church, by the way. Because it's not saying God just looks at you. It's a picture of a dad in love with a child, picking him up and holding them and looking at them only. So may God turn his face towards you. May he scoop you up and look you full in the face. And in that glimpse, in those eyes, in that salvation, may you find peace that allows you enough courage to love back the God who so lavishly loved you. My friends, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is time for the church to leave the building. If you need prayer, we have prayer stations up front. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're looking for a way to prepare yourself for next week's, you can visit us at foundrychurch.net and find our weekly devotions by scrolling down on the homepage. Being in God's word every day is part of what we call our weekly rhythm here at the Foundry. We hope you felt challenged and encouraged by this and hope that you'll tune in again next week.